Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Everyone thinks I had a storybook career, that I just sprang into Disney Channel stardom overnight, made millions, and lived happily ever after. Spoiler alert, I didn't. There were countless failures along the way, and there still are. How I deal with that struggle and how I pivot when failure creeps in is what allows me to keep going, keep learning, and keep striving for balance. The Vulnerable Podcast is an invitation to hang out every week with me, Christy Carlson Romano, as I invite friends, celebrities, and experts for in-depth conversations discussing the good, the complicated, the beauty of being human, and what it means to be vulnerable. Join me every Tuesday as we navigate the ups and downs of my guests' paths to success. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Attacking Scrum. If you've been listening throughout lockdown, you will know that at the moment we've been recording a special series of the shows called Dream 15. This is where we get a guest to come on and pick a fantasy team made up of their favourite players. Thanks for all the positive feedback you've sent us on this. It's been really nice to hear people's thoughts. And uh, yeah, we've had some, some really good fun recording these. And uh, we've got some fantastic guests lined up too. So first up this week is Sam Lana, who is a rugby journalist and uh, a rugby analyst too. And we had a really good chat, uh, kind of engaging with all things from Japan's World Cup run through to, uh, through to watching Leeds back in the day with... Uh, with Alex Popham and the like playing for them. And as I say, we've got some awesome guests lined up too. So I've already recorded one with James Hook, which was so much fun. He's an absolute blast. Had a a brilliant time chatting to him. And that one will be out next week. Uh, Really, really good fun that one was. And uh, hoping to get some recorded this week uh, with Ross Harries, who you'll know uh, from Scrum 5 and uh, presenting Pro 14 Rugby 2. But he's also a massive, massive rugby nerd in 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 the best possible way and we're hoping to speak to uh, 
uh, top journalist Charlie Morgan as well. So yeah, all coming together and a big thanks to everyone who's listened so far. One final thanks, of course, to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. If you want to get some quality coffee, then do head over to socoffeetrades.co.uk. But for now, enjoy the show. trouble for Kuoka. Brilliant! Brilliant off the floor! And in goes Matsushima! Unreal! Brilliant work. Commentators curse, just as I said, Japan would causes Scotland any problems. Brilliant on the left-hand side. Welcome to another episode of Dream 15 by the Attacking Scrum. This, of course, is the version of the show where we get a guest to come on and choose their favourite players and select a kind of barbarian side to take take on uh, another side from uh, from history. As well as picking the opposition, the team, they'll also get to choose the ground and the kit as well as the captain. And I'm delighted to say that this evening I am joined by rugby analyst and journalist Sam Lana. How are you doing, Sam? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Nice to nice to have you on board, making uh, making your debut on the attacking scrum. I'll uh, I'll start by uh, asking you how you found this as a process. Yeah, um, well, it was very difficult. It, it was very difficult. I, I started off, um, and I I probably had two uh, choices that were just would never have been changed. So they were they were guaranteed. Um, the other thirteen. I just didn't know where to start. I I, I forgot everyone who, who's ever played rugby. Then I remembered everyone who's ever played rugby at the same time and couldn't pick which ones I wanted in which spots. Um, it was really difficult. I, I was trying to balance between... Because I saw this as kind of a bit of a Desert Island disc where you don't necessarily pick your favourite uh, songs. You pick the ones that are most meaningful to you. Um, and that was quite difficult. I was trying to work out what whether one match was more meaningful than another match or whether one excellent performance was better than a season of very good performances. Um, and so it's a bit of a mismatch. Uh, you'll notice as we go through it, there's two nations represented perhaps more than you might expect. Um, but it, it, was, it was difficult, but it was, it was great kind of going down memory lane and remembering some of these, these performances. Yeah, you're quite right about it being kind of like the, like the Desert Island Disc style format. I wonder, wonder where I got the idea for this. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose, you know, being, um, being someone who's, whose work concentrates on the analysis side of things, has it, been, has it been like a bit of a break from the day job to, to kind of go on a, a few flights of fancy or have you kind of stuck to your principles and, and be very statistically led and, and basing it on the data? No, so I, um, I, I, I struggle with this because I am, uh, when I look at games, I, I, try, I do watch them in, in quite an analytical, uh, uh, quite an analytical way. Uh, and I've been doing that more and more in recent years. And I, I, sometimes it, it's, a, it's a curse because you lose some of the, the pure emotional enjoyment. Uh, most of these people, um, the games I'm picking them from are, are games when I was uh, a teenager or, mm-hmm. or a, kind of a, a young adult. Um, and so at that point, I was had no real interest in the analytical side of things. So these are, most of these are just... Um, 
just kind of passion picks from from younger years. But there's a few which are which are passion picks from from older years, which which was nice because it was kind of a reminder that I can still watch games uh, and not just watch them in kind of a cold statistical uh, perspective. And before we get underway, Sal, tell us a little bit about your uh, kind of about your your rugby watching background. Where did you grow up? Which you know which sides were you watching? And um, yeah, tell us a little bit about those those kind of formative years you mentioned. Yeah, so I I grew up in in Yorkshire. Uh, I was born in Lancashire, but grew up in Yorkshire. But um, my dad's Welsh. Uh, he he played rugby through my childhood, and although my mum was uh, born in Hull, she spent a lot of her young years in Wales so we were we always supported Wales as a family um and that's continued and I think that's uh, I often have this debate with my cousins because um when we in, in 2003 they were so they're born in Wales uh, uh you know apart from for university have never lived outside Wales um and so we often have a debate about who's most Welsh um and I am of the opinion that if you, you went to a comprehensive school in 2003 when England won the World Cup and you were 11 and you were supporting Wales that was that makes you more Welsh than than kind of anyone who who was in in a Welsh school at that time um but the teams I was supporting uh so um in in in, I say recent years I guess for the last 15 or so years I've been pretty much a fully paid up uh, Scarlet's fan Mm -hmm. um but when I was a, a youngster I used to go and watch the Lee's Tykes a lot Mm -hmm. so they're probably the they might be the team I've seen most live. Probably went to see maybe ten or twelve games a season. Um, them for, for for perhaps four seasons, um, and so I have a lot of um, a lot of love for those old Tykes teams. Um, and there's a couple of picks um, who who I saw uh, as a as a as a kid there. Um, but since they've kind of changed the game, how many times they've done it in recent years, and, and obviously falling away, and I've moved out of of Yorkshire, I, uh, I, I've moved solely to be a, a Scarlet's fan. Fair enough. Well, I'm sure as say we'll take that that trip down uh, down memory lane uh, very very shortly. But let's uh, let's start with the with the front row. Talk us through, uh, yeah, talk us through who, who was on the shortlist and who's uh, who's made the uh, made the, the slot in the number one jersey. Yeah, so I found this really difficult because um, I started at fullback. Um, and I, I kind of, I went 15 through three to one, um, and I struggled with loose heads. Um, mo- mostly I just kind of struggled to get the person who I ultimately chose out of that position. I, I, I selected him early and then I tried to make picks to the move him. Um, and I just, I, I, no one really got that close. So there's not much of a short list for this, unfortunately. Um, the person I ended up picking uh, was Geffen Jenkins. Um, as soon as you said, I, I found it hard not to pick him, I was pretty certain about <laughs> Geffen Jenkins because everyone has, uh, you know, like, everyone who we've had on this podcast to do this has pretty much ended up picking Mellon. And even people who didn't, like me, ultimately I did pick Mellon, if you know what I mean. Like, it, yes, I, yeah. I, I did it mainly to be contrary. He's just, it's just so hard to look past. He is. I mean, a big part of that was 2005, his performance against Ireland uh, just cemented him as, uh, as just such a, a big part of, of, I guess, growing up and seeing what it meant to be a front row. And also, from a kind of an analytical perspective, um, one of the biggest changes that I think happened 
in recent years in, in rugby is the, is the fact that you now have uh, 15 players who can all pass the ball, um, run with the ball, uh, have pace, have skills, as opposed to just seven, you know, having the early, well, early 2000s yeah. thing before that. Um, and I think Geffen Jenkins really embodies that, um, that part of the game. Um, you know, he was probably one of the first loose heads to have a, a genuine turn of pace um, and be a genuine threat with the ball. Um, and obviously now that's pretty commonplace amongst different those. But, um, but he, really, he, he really kind of um, was one of the first to embody that. And, and I think that not, not that alone, but, but that is, makes him very hard to, to get rid of from the kind of the Desert Island just perspective, something that means a lot to me. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right, and you know that, that 2005 team and that performance in particular. But what's so amazing about it is, like you say, he was doing that in in 2005, and you know when he when did he make his debut? Kind of a few good few years before that, um, and he went on to play for another 10 years after 2005. Yeah. You know, just uh, and showed no sign of ever relenting. You know, it was always such an athletic performance. Uh, yeah, it's just yeah. I mean, a, a true legend of the game, really. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think he's he, he's exceptional, and um, and yeah, what, what what he brought to the game is is absolutely fantastic. Couldn't agree more. Right? What about Hooker? So this one, um, there were a bit more on the shortlist. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was Augustine Cleavy, um, who I I just he's he's he embodies Argentinian in so many ways. In that you watch him sometimes, and he is absolutely unbelievable and you kind of find it hard to believe that he is not uh known as the best hooker in the world um and then you watch him some other times and you think what is he doing this is this is just awful and i i find that a lot when i watch uh watch argentina is that they bounce between just being amazing and being very ordinary um yeah, you're quite uh, yeah right. so, so they kind of do it like it's not just like it's one game good, one game bad. Is they will string together, you know, an amazing World Cup campaign, and then the the following, you know, the following six months kind of look hopeless, and and vice versa. Um, yeah, they, they they are kind of a, a strangely inconsistent side. Do you think that that's kind of getting better as they've as they've been playing in um, in the rugby championship? It's difficult because. They're, they're quite similar to Italy in lots of ways in that Italy, if Italy weren't in the Six Nations, they would be a much higher ranked team because mm. basically they have five games a year where they lose every single game. And that knocks them to where they are in the, in, in the world rankings, which is why I think sometimes it's a bit disingenuous to compare them to, to Georgia, for example, because um, rightly or wrongly, Georgia aren't playing um, the very best teams in the world every single year. Mm. Um, I think the same is true of Argentina, is that they, I, I think they probably are the better side. I think they're the better, more well-rounded side. Um, and I think the Jaguares has, has helped that as well. Um, but unfortunately, every year, they have to go and play six games against uh, at least two of the best teams in the world. Mm. Um, and then obviously Australia a little way behind. Um and you wonder whether that is actually helping their helping them advance or not. You know, is it helpful to to go and lose six games a year, um, or would it be better to to bounce around playing 
um, you know, the US, Canada, maybe those those teams. I, I think in Argentina's case, it definitely is beneficial to to get those those, those performances, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they they do um, they do occasionally take a, take a scalp or in the World Cup. Obviously, they can they can kind of beat um, Six Nations teams there. Um, so I think they probably are getting better, but it's just a slow process, um, and it's going to be it, there's going to be a long road where they are getting beaten a lot. Um, yeah, you're quite right. Anyway, I, I take us off on a tangent there. Who were the who were the other players uh, that, that, that were on the shortlist in the in the hooker berth? So um, there was Ken Owings, which I think is a, is a fairly natural choice. I I just I I love watching him him play. He is. Um, he he's just kind of no nonsense. He's he there's nothing showy about him. He's he's not particularly um, he's not particularly uh, kind of well. He's, he's passionate, but he doesn't necessarily show that on the pitch. He's just he just goes about his job. Uh, and I think that not just in rugby, there's a lot of people who would benefit from that. Just go about their job. Let people know that you are uh, as good as you are by just being very good at the thing you do. Um, yeah, I think he's, so, he's kind of he's passionate, and you can tell what it means every time he pulls on either the the, the red of the Scarlets or the red of Wales. But it, I know what you mean. It's not like a niggly kind of. He's not one of those abrasive hookers, is he? Like it's. He it, it seems like it's the, the the passion he shows is always a kind of a, a positive um, a positive passion. You know, whether he's scoring a try or you know winning a penalty at scrum time, it's not like that kind of niggly abrasiveness, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. I, I imagine that he would be a great teammate to have because when you're going up and down as the game kind of goes with you or against you, he's just that kind of firm hand on the tiller, making sure that everything's going the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, I, I do think that that happens to be a reason why he's he's often probably undervalued. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so much in Wales, but probably elsewhere in the world because he isn't showy. He he does just do his job. Um, but um, so I, I thought long and hard about putting him in. Um, also, Matthew Lease. One, one of the one of the best things I ever saw Matthew Lease do was I was in um, I watched the Scarlets in Northampton. I a friend who went to Northampton University, and uh, Matthew Lease was getting ready to throw throw the ball in, and um, he he asked for a towel uh, from the from the ball boy, uh, and the ball boy gave him the towel. Uh, actually, no, ball boy threw the towel on the on the on the floor. Uh, next to him, didn't didn't give him the towel, just threw it ground, down the ground, and you can imagine some other players really getting a, the hump over that, or really getting angry, or saying something, or it upsetting them for the rest of the game. And Matthew Lee's just looked kind of bemused, like a like a kind of a disappointed uh, grandfather maybe, um, and just uh, rubbed the rubbed the ball on his top, and then threw in the line out. It it went perfectly, and I just I mean. Apart, aside from everything else he's done, Inger Wales, Scarlets, Blues, uh, Ponty Pleaver, you know, whatever, Jersey, um, I just think that moment was just great. It was, it was great to see someone just take that kind of uh, difficult situation and be like, oh, well, this is, this is fine. I'm, I'm playing a game I love. Uh, we're winging. Let's just let's move on. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is an absolute class act. Actually, we've been lucky enough to uh, to have him uh, to have him on and, and have a chat with him, and he's a yeah, thoroughly nice guy. Yeah, yeah, I, I can well imagine. I, 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 he comes across as as in, in, incredibly nice. Um, so there were there were a couple of others um, 
I think uh, there was actually Mark Legan who was the um, <laughs> Lee Tykes. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about players who, uh, you know, ten ten K Aaron's passes, isn't the, the the more abrasive in your face of hookers. God, Mark Regan is the quite quite the opposite, isn't he? Yes, yeah. I I remember. I, I think probably I missed a lot of that when I watched the Tykes play because I I didn't necessarily uh, find that out or kind of watch for that. But um, but I remember he made a big impact um, just watching him play and watching his work rate around Hedgenley. Um So he was he was close. I mean he was he was beneath uh, Kang and Matthew Reese, mm. um, but he was he was in the mix when I was trying to put this list together. Um, but the person I chose, and this is literally from a from an analytical uh, perspective, because I think he he is the person who embodies. Um, uh, well, actually, I'll, t- I'll tell you who he is, and then we, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you a bit about why. So it's Dane Coles. Mm. Um, so the the thing I love about the and the thing that um, when I was kind of learning more about it and, and looking at Lubby from a more analytical perspective, is this idea that um, you no longer need to have all eight forwards in the middle of the pitch. You know, if you watch any game now, you'll see that the teams spread their forwards obviously out. They they might have one on the wing, or one on each wing, or two on each wing, and four in the middle, or or um, one on one wing, two on the other. You know, all kinds of formations for how they align their forwards. Um, but whenever I explain this to somebody, whenever I explain these different formations um, for the big to, to people. The person I always go back to is Dane Coles because he does such a brilliant job um, either supporting a winger on the on the wide or carrying the ball, offloading, passing. And I just think that he is such a, a good embodiment of that. And his work rate is, is phenomenal um, and his ball skills are phenomenal. And he's really what, if you were the young, not necessarily hooker, but any kind of young forward, I would just say, just watch him. Just watch a game and keep an eye on, on, on Dane Coles. Or, you know, watch a game from the past and keep an eye on Dane Coles. And you will just see what it means to be a modern-day forward, um, to have that pace, to have those ball skills. Similar to Geffen Jenkins, actually. Um, and, and so so for that reason, he's he's one of the people I... Uh, or he, he is the person, I think, is... Uh, best in boys hooker for, for for this team. Yeah, I, 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 you know, you're you're absolutely right. The guy is, um, yeah, I mean his uh, his ball skills are, are superhuman, really, aren't they? They were, uh, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but comfortably good enough to play in in the backs of another of another side. Yes, and uh, and that that does make him, uh, yeah, a, a real joy, a real joy to watch. Yeah, yeah, I think I think he's fantastic. Um, so yeah, he he made he made the number two jersey for me. So you've gone for a very dynamic front row so far. Are we going to have another kind of ball playing uh, dynamic tight head, or are you going to go for someone who's going to offer you some grunt in the scrum? Well, um, I, I considered making it a um, uh, putting Carl Sinclair there and making mm. it a a kind of full ball playing uh, front row. Um, I thought about that very briefly. Um, because to be honest, I'd made up my decision before. I kind of toyed with the idea of trying to come up with shortlisted people for this, but I didn't really, it wouldn't have done them justice because they were never really in the picture. Uh, it's, it's Adam Jones. Um, and it's, you know, it, 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 it was always going to be him. 
Yeah, uh, again, there's you know people won't won't need my take on it. Anyone who's ever listened to this uh, to this podcast before will know how highly uh, how highly I think of him. Uh, do you have like a, a favorite uh, a favorite memory of, uh, of Adam Jones in a Wales shirt? Oh, that's a good question. I think I I was a particular. I guess the moment I realised what he does for Wales was during the 2011 World Cup, mm. um, and I, I I think a big a big part of what I like about him, and, and this is a bit more, this is quite a, it's a bit broader than just rugby, but I think there's this idea nowadays that that kind of, um, I know that, that women's sport has a real issue with this, is trying to get people to to accept the fact that you, you, you know, you, you're going to look a certain way when you play sport. You know, you, you're not going to be at your best uh, when you play sport. Um, and also embracing the fact that you're, you know, you're born a certain way and Adam Jones is born a different way to um, Cheslin Colby, for example. And kind of embracing the, the everything that you, that, that, the, the benefits of that. Um, and so I think that's a huge part of what I like about Adam Jones is that he just got on with it. He he also came from from being very unfit to being one of the fitter uh, um, forwards in the world. Um, you know, I mean, he's not he's not Geffen Jenkins levels of of of, um, of kind of loop, play in the loose, but he he managed to 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 fulfil the role that he want that he was needed to, despite the fact that he had you know difficult early years with with his fitness. Um, so I'd say I'd say twenty eleven. I'd say. Um, you know, when that Welsh club really kind of started to work and after many years of, uh, of it struggling um, and he was clearly the the player who made that happen. Although actually, as I'm saying this, I realise that my favourite Adam Jones moment is the 2009 uh, Lions first test when he comes on for Phil Vickery and, uh, and single-handedly fixes the scrum. Mm. Yeah, I mean that. That's, but this is the thing, though, is actually, is there's for for a front row forward, particularly a tight head, you know, where it, it could be very easy to just think, look, I know what a good player he was, but you don't necessarily have that many amazing memories. Well, again, with Adam Jones, I do. You're right. That 2011 World Cup, it, it you know, for that for that one autumn, I genuinely thought we were going to win it, and he was yeah. an integral part of that. And you're right. 2009, he was just superb. That's that second test with the All Welsh front row. Was was absolutely incredible. Twenty thirteen, demolishing uh, demolishing the England scrum um, yeah. in the millennium. You know, he, and I think that genuinely, I mean, you can. Um, it's very hard to debate between eras, but I think most people would. I don't think anyone would really have a problem in arguing that he's Wales's greatest ever tight head, and I include. You know, I, I think even Graham Price would. Uh, you know, would would uh, would happily admit that as well. You know, they're just yeah. They're, they're just players of, um, particularly Adam Jones, has just achieved so much in a red jersey. Uh, yeah, I, and also now going on to, to coaching and kind of passing passing on. I think that's I think that's fantastic. And um, yeah, he's he, he he's actually just at the at the centre of so many great Welsh rugby memories. Um, you know, he is kind of he is just there for so many of them, um, and I think that longevity. And just being able to keep getting picked is is one of the things that that uh, has has made him uh, uh, has basically made him a shoeing for the squad. Absolutely right. What about uh, what about the second row then? So uh, I mean, one second row 
it is is obvious. It's 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 Halloween Jones. It's I I I do I try really hard to be controversial with this one. Um, I'm not controversial, but I, I kind of thought, well, everyone's going to pick Halloween Jones. I'll pick someone different, and I just couldn't think of anyone who does a better job than he does. He is one of the probably five, maybe three best players in the world at the moment. Um, he is possibly, in my lifetime, the best Wales captain we've ever had, just in terms of um, how he conducts himself, how he gets a team moving in the same direction, how he speaks to the referee, um, how he talks to the media. Um, I, I'd say I'd say Sam Warburton is, is pushing that. I, I know that he kind of um, took made the captaincy a bit more modern, um, mm. but I think that Alan Wynne-Jones has taken that and, and run with it. Um, and he's he's just being ever present. Same same with Adam Jones, really. He's just ever present. He's always there. Um, he always does uh, the jobs that you kind of appreciate more once you get to know them be a little bit better. He kind of does the hidden work um, really well. But then he's also kind of you know he he makes big hits. He turns ball over. Um, he operates as a good link man. He does all those things. Um, and I do think that because he's not necessarily showy because he comes across as perhaps a bit demure off the pitch, people underestimate him, not in Wales again, but outside Wales. And I just think that that kind of thought is, is mad because he's, he's, he is, as I say, the, either the, one of the top three or one of the top five best players in the world at the moment. Yeah, yeah. He, he, said he, he picks himself for any, uh, for any Welsh rugby fan in, uh, in, in one of these Dream 15 scenarios. Who, yeah. uh, who would be partnering with him then? So, um, this one I found harder. Um, what I was trying to do at this point um, was pick someone who has a kind of an, an emotional uh, meaning for me. Um, so, some people who kind of got in the shortlist was Luke Charterless, who yeah. I, I think is kind of criminally overlooked. Um, 100% agree. 100% yeah. agree. Yeah. Just is... Just brilliant in so many different ways I, I don't really remember him ever having a bad game uh, he must have done and, but I, I don't really remember it it took him, um, a, little, it took him a little while and you know kind of he never really hadn't really made um, made that share his own mainly because there was a lot of competition in, uh, at the time you know there was there was Bradley Davis there was Ian Evans there was Ian Goff at, at a certain point as well and yeah. it was just before uh, yeah just before 2011 World Cup he kind of made this great run of form and he was absolutely incredible in that in that World Cup performance. And I think from that point in, really, um, yeah, really uh, made the made the shirt his own and, and kind of filled it again in uh, in twenty fifteen. Yeah, he's an absolutely superb player and defensively incredible. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And yeah, his work at the line out as well is just as you expect from someone his size is is fantastic. Um, also, Paul Tito. Um, I had uh, came with a good shout here. I, um, uh, I I ended up watching quite a few Blues games um, because my uh, cousins and grandparents are, uh, are in the kind of the Cardiff area, um, and I just again so I never really saw have a bad game. His work rate once I kind of started to understand to look for the the hidden work, uh, and he was one of the first people that I kind of tried to focus on to see what else he was doing around the pitch. Um, and he was just exceptional. Yeah, he was his his work rate was just absolutely incredible, um, and you know such a a really good servant for for the Blues. Obviously not not Welsh himself, but just kind of a 
just just did such a good job for them. Um, so he 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 kind of got into the into the mix. Um, but he wasn't the person I chose. So the person I chose, uh, I actually. So if this was if if this was a um, a team I was selecting uh, today, wouldn't make the mix, but does make it because when I first kind of, um, oh not when I first, but when 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 uh, the Pro fourteen or Pro twelve as it was then first came onto uh, the BBC and you, you know you could watch a, a bunch of games. I remember I ended up watching a lot of Glasgow Warriors games mm. and. Um, the person I chose was uh, Nakalawa, yeah. um, just because I remember him being absolutely sensational. Just uh, I remember one season. I can't honestly think where it was you now. Maybe 20, 2016, 17, and just every one of the kind of maybe eight or nine games I saw across the across the Pro 14 thing and the the Heineken Cup, he was absolutely incredible. Um, and I don't think. Even including Alan Wing Jones in this, I don't think I've ever seen anyone put together such a thing of of spectacular performances as he did. Then it's um, it's it is hard to to really stand out as a as a second row, isn't it? It's a bit of a thankless job that you have yeah. to do a lot of hitting rucks, a lot of tackling, a lot of light again line out work that doesn't necessarily go noticed. Um, but the, what what he could do with with the ball in hand, you know, he, he holds the ball and makes it look like a peanut, doesn't he? And he can just like yes. throw, throw these outrageous offloads. And he is one of those second rows who it is, it's just sheer joy to watch you play. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is. I mean, I think now he's, he, his skill, he, he the problem is his, his fame has mm. passed his skill. I think now, I think the skill is on the way down a little bit and the fame is still on the way up. And so, uh, you know, against Uruguay, for example, he threw so many offloads that didn't work. Um, and one of them actually led to the Santiago Alata try that, that put Uruguay in the lead. Um, and so I do, I do think that, which is why I say that at this moment, I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually pick him if this was a team I was hoping to play with. Um, but yes, for that, for that kind of, for those few years where he was probably the best ball playing forward in the world, Definitely the best ball playing second row. Um, I, I think he has to make the has to make the team. Well, you can have the uh, yeah, you can have the the twenty sixteen seventeen vintage per <laughs> hour. Uh, That'd yeah, be perfect. I, I think that's a, that's a mighty fine choice. Right, let's uh, let's have a look at the back row, Sam. Yes. So uh, six, I went. Um, uh, I, I diverged again. Kind of. I, well, I, I moved away from Wales, but only slightly. Uh, <laughs> I went. Um, uh, I went with John Barkley. Um, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, I watched a lot of him for for Glasgow. It, it seemed like there was a lot of a lot of Glasgow games on at that time, um, and I was a big fan of the Killer Bees era of the Scottish <laughs> uh, back row. Yeah, uh, it's such a terrible name, but I, I can't shake it. Like, yeah, you're right. They they were all great, actually, wasn't it? Yeah, BT uh, Barkley and Brown, wasn't it? The Killer Bees. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, What's interesting about it is is that the killer bees because I, I was looking at this early today. Um, I would have assumed that for killer bees, they they would have gone the, the way they'd have written it was B double E S because I know that that's I know it's just B S I guess B you know bees 
but I kind of thought maybe they'd have kept with that. It could be B spelt with two E's kind of works as a, as a pun. But they did just spell it killer <laughs> B then S, which seems to kind of underdo or undo the kind of the, the vaguely entertaining pun that they were going for there. <laughs> um, but it was, it was when you came to the Scarlets, I really kind of, well, first of all, great captain. Um, also, just the, the amount he gave for, for the club and the performances he put in, again, actually, I'm kind of realising a big trend of this, of what, who I'm picking at, is now the people who do the work that perhaps doesn't go mm. uh, see. Uh, I, I just think watching him, some of the performances he put out were absolutely incredible. And he made that back row... Um, really click even when there was younger players in there James Davis Josh McLeod uh, Ty Byrne in the second row or moving back to six he just kind of was the was a fulcrum that they all worked around yeah um, and, and playing playing six seven and eight equally comfortably yeah 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 his own killer bee he managed to uh, to, <laughs> to, to fill all those back rows yeah, yeah I, a, I just think yeah so so he makes my six um Seven, I mean, seven was so hard. It was really hard. There's, there's obviously Justin Tipperick, who I think is just probably one of the best players um, around in the, in the world at the moment. I mean, the, the 2013 Wales versus England game is probably my fondest rugby memory. I, I watched it in a, an English rugby club where not only was I the only Welsh person, I was the only non-English person um, in a crowd of about 40. Um, and to watch that game, knowing that not only did we... I mean, it would have been nice if we'd have won and to have prevented them getting the Grand Slam, but to win and to win by enough to, to win the Six Nations, I, I actually think that is a better... Uh, that means more than some of the Grand Slam um, Winning performances. Uh, I know what you mean because the thing is, we don't beat England by that much. You know, we ju- yeah. we just don't. We've uh, I'm fortunate enough to remember kind of, uh, I guess both eras against England. The the recent modern era where we've had a lot of success against them, and the era when we were terrible. And that you know, I've got lots of memories of growing up getting stuffed by England, but then I've also got these memories of beating England, and that's the only one where we where we've hammered them. Every other game has been. Uh, has been narrow you know in Grand Slam winning years it's been narrow wins whereas that game we just we, we blew them away yeah yeah it, it, it was spectacular it was and also it was it was actually quite close for quite a long time and then it just edged away edged away edged away and then it was just a complete domination then for the for, for the for the ending I, I just thought it was absolutely it was just a sensational game yeah I think um, in, the, in the back of my head I seem to remember maybe did, did bigger drop a drop a goal or two? Um, yes. Either at the start of the second half or at the end of the first, and it just gave that bit of breathing space that then meant England were chasing the game, and that's and that's when we did it with those those two tries, uh, uh, you know, from from fairly far out. Yes. Yeah. And I actually so the 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 second shortlisted choice I had here uh, features in one of those tries, which was Sam Warburton, mm. who I mean, just still kind of criminally undulated, um, I think, because he wasn't necessarily the um, best attacker. Um, you know, he was he was good in attack, but he wasn't, you know, wasn't the best. Um, but his, his work in defence, his work in just kind of, I guess, 
what he did with the jackal and what he did with with turning ball over and look, I, I do genuinely think have revolutionised the game. Um, you know, the the amount that he brought to that was just incredible. Um, I, I think it certainly did in the in the northern hemisphere and particularly within uh, particularly within kind of the the British Isles. I would say, uh, you know, for yeah. me, again, it's he will be judged against his peers wearing certain jerseys, so the Pococks and the McCaws and and those kind of players. But um, for me, what made him so impressive was he can go toe-to-toe with them on his on his day and be as influential as a, a McCaw. I'm not saying he's as good, you know, he was as yeah. good a player as McCaw, but he was as important for Wales yes. anyway. And for the Yeah, Lions. 100%. 100%. Um, the other person I would, I, I toyed with the idea of putting him in, he, he got quite close actually, was, was Chris Lobshaw, which mm. um, is a... That is an know, interesting bit. It's an interesting pick, not just because he's English, um, but also because many would argue he's not a seven. Um, the the thing I, I mean, I, you know, don't get me wrong, 2015 Chris Lobshaw saying we don't lose at home was, uh, and then losing at home to Wales was joyous. And at that point, he had sunk in my estimation. I know it was sponsorship, it wasn't him lighting those lines, but you know, he had sunk about as low as he could get in my estimations. But like Brian Moore, actually, he managed to sink very low and then he's just constantly on being on the way up uh, since then. I think the, some of the performances he's putting after that 2015 World Cup, when it was pretty clear that his England uh, days were over, were absolutely brilliant. Mm. Um, and whether he's a seven or a six and a half or a six or not in a squad, he is, he is very hardworking. Um, I think he was a not particularly successful captain, mm. um, but he embodied. I think. I, I think he embodied what it make what makes a good captain. Like he um, he might not make great decisions, but he worked harder than probably anyone else on the team. Um, and you got the impression that you would be happy taking orders from him because you knew that he was working harder than anyone else. Um, yeah, I think you know it's interesting one, isn't it, with Rob Shaw? Because I, I'd say I would be in that bracket that said he wasn't an international seven. I thought he was an excellent six. He would have been an excellent six, six and a half, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. And I think again, some of his decisions as a captain, no, you know, most notably that game against uh, against Wales, yeah, uh, you know, will will kind of come back to haunt him. But for all of that, I, I think if he'd have been playing in, let's say, in England back row now, if he was wearing six with. Uh, either Underhill or Curry at seven, and Vernapola at eight. I think you've got a very different. I think you've got a very different. Um, he's going to be judged in a very different way there. So, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I think he kind of was in that in between period. I, I do think he was, he's a little bit underestimated as a player. Yeah, I also think if he played for for Wales, I think we'd love him because mm. he's clearly he he puts his all into it. Um, but yeah, he's he's not a seven. Um, unless you're going to play a kind of a, a different style of, of, of rugby, but he 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 got really close. Um, Argy Surveyor also had a a shout. Um, I, I like his style of rugby. I think he's a very uh, exciting player. But to be honest, he's he's not the best in the world, and he's also just doesn't have a particular emotional connection. Or I don't have a particular emotional connection to him. So he was kind of he was going to be out of the running, but he was certainly within a, a shot. Um, but the person I went for, and this might be a little bit left field, was Alex Popham. Um, Interesting. That's seven as well. 
Yeah, well, I kind of, I kind of thought I'm, I'm a little bit agnostic about um, about six, seven, yeah. less so eight, but but six and seven, I kind of can see them switching around. So I wouldn't mind Barkley playing seven, yeah. Poppin playing six. Um, my eight, without giving away who he is, my eight could also bounce between probably not seven but six as well so I, I would quite like to do some quite inventive things with that with my six seven eight um well let's yeah let's talk about uh, more about Alex Poppen uh to start with because yeah he's, again he's, he came very close to making my side actually just um there was a, the period when Wales were fair well we were very very poor uh kind of 06 07 and yeah. he was a player who really shone in that side and you know, in part because of his peroxide hair. Um, <laughs> yes. But his his hits were just absolutely phenomenal. And I was just at that stage where I, you know, I kind of um, just loved watching big, you know, big ball carrying um, back row forwards and people who put in big hits. And, and no one epitomised that more than, than Poppin, really. Uh, yeah, 100%. I mean, the other thing was um, he played for both the Tykes and the Scarlets. Mm. Um, so he, so that gives him a big head, uh, head start. I remember watching a Tykes game probably uh, late 2002, early 2003, I guess when Popham was early 20s. And uh, we started leaving. Oh, we actually didn't start leaving, but we, we walked down to be pitch side um, just because we, we, you know, we'd always watch from kind of stood up relatively high up in the stands. And so we thought we'd, we'd go pitch side and just see what it was like there. And he made a hit, which actually quite, it was, it scared me. Like the noise that the guy he hit made was just unbelievable. It was like the kind of, um, it's like someone stamping on a, on a crisp packet. Uh, it, it was unbelievable. And I think as happens with a lot of, a lot of things, you, you see one player do something either really good or really bad. Uh, and then that sticks in your head. And so obviously he was a great tackler, but after watching that up close, it just felt like every tackle he made since then was just an absolute monster. Um, and also he was, you know, obviously you see it a lot more now, but he, he was quite good at bouncing around. You know, he went Newport, Tykes, Scarlet's Believe. Well, and... that's, that's the reason he didn't make my side, you see. If he'd have, st- if he'd have stayed in Newport and then gone to the Dragons, he would have, he would have got the nod. But I, I just couldn't forgive him. Uh, I, I couldn't forgive him for leaving Newport in the first place, which is the which is what, what I held against him. But from yeah. your point of view, he played for yeah, he played for uh, for Leeds and for Scarlets. Yeah, ironically, him leaving Newport has made him made, made me pick him. <laughs> so uh, so if he's if he's listening, uh, he, he in my view. That was a good choice. Um, he has been. He has been on actually, and yeah, we'd, uh, we're hoping to hoping to get Alex on again at some point. So uh, yeah, maybe uh, maybe you picking him as a side will be the uh, the catalyst to get him back on. Uh, <laughs> put my well, to bed. I'd hope that would be the case. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but I, I I kind of I there was there's prob there is well there's there's clearly better players, but I think for me, growing up having a a Welsh player in a Tykes. Uh, squad um, that immediately made him a, a favourite of mine and then as I kind of knew more about rugby and then watching him progress I think it was it was just great to kind of watch how good he got and what about what about eight then who completes the back row so this was a difficult one um, because I struggled to think of eights that have 
that I have a really serious fondness for. Um, and so I then started kind of going back and trying to think of, of some of the best performances I've ever seen. And uh, I think it was probably 2010 or 2009 to 2010, some of the, the somewhere I thought was going to be a Welsh legend um, or just a rugby legend who was going to completely change the way that the number eight position was played was Andy Powell. Mm. Um, obviously, he never did become that. Um, maybe he's a Welsh legend for, for some, but he never kind of, I don't think, fulfilled the potential that I saw in those initial, that initial year or so. But um, just yeah. watching some of his early performances, he was just incredible. Yeah, he really, again, another one who um, who kind of came through, uh, you know, started started his uh, his professional career at Newport, and again, you know, was was rough around the edges when he started playing. And again, I can't think how long ago this would have been, maybe two thousand and three, four, and you know, there was just so much chat about this young guy at eight, and he was uh, he had good, you know good games and bad games, and then but but the raw ability was there for everyone to see, and he. You know, he he bounced around a lot in his career and never really settled until he went to Cardiff, and that's when he got in the Wales side and went on the Lions tour. But he strung together some seriously impressive uh, performances in that in in those games. Yeah, I I, I also think that uh, as a kind of a as a romantic, I, I just think that the the lost um, the lost possibilities make him high, you know, kind of guaranteed to be on this list because. You know, uh, for, for anyone else, his career was absolutely ex- exceptional. You know, to, to to imagine as a kid that you would have the career that he had uh, would be un- unbelievable. But I think a lot of people love him for the fact, you know, for the for the um, golf buggy instinct, all that kind of stuff. Like, people love him for that. I just kind of see it as a as a, just a missed opportunity. Like he was he was so good, he could have he could have been whatever he wanted to be, really. Um, and it was kind of, you know, it's one of those frustrations where you just kind of want to shake the person and say, look, just, just, you were this good. Just be, be that good again. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I think that kind of made him quite high up the list as well. But he doesn't get the nod. No, sorry, he does get the nod. Yeah, he does yeah. get the nod. Uh, right. okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what, there's no shortage of ball carrying options in that back row. <laughs> With Powell and Popham in there, which uh, yeah, again the the Newport fan of me would have lo- would have loved to have seen uh, would have loved to have seen that uh, kind of a, on, on a few more occasions. I don't know if they ever did play together in the same back row, but um, but yeah, both uh, both huge ball carriers and, uh, and and putting in massive hits. Yeah, and also you know I I like the I like switching around players. So there's possibly Powell moving to the second row, Nakarawa moving to eight for certain uh, for certain. Um, Back though moves off the scrum, nice. um, so I, I can see a lot of a lot of possibilities here. That is a yeah a real uh, a real mixture in the pack of, uh, of of brute force and then some uh, some out and out silk as well. I like that a lot. Right, we're looking yeah. forward to uh, to hearing who you've picked in the back, Sam, and we'll do that in just a moment. But first, we're going to take a very quick break. I'm Ben John, and you're listening to the Attack and Scrum podcast. Time there to have a look at your back, Sam. Really interesting pack you've picked there. Uh, talk us through some of the options then uh, when it came to number nine. 
So uh, there actually weren't any options uh, <laughs> apart from the person I picked. And we're like, this guy actually got me into, into playing rugby. Um, watching him and kind of absolutely idolizing him as a kid. Um, and he made me want to play the position that um, for most of my youth and then early uh, adult rugby I played. Uh, and that is Dwayne Peel. Yeah, I, do, I, had, I had a feeling uh, you were going to say Dwayne Peel, and um, he is he is held in such high regard amongst Scarlet fans, isn't he? And, and we, with good reason. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that was one of the key things. I, I actually remember um, the Scarlets came to play the Tykes, um, and by that, at that point, um, I'd certainly seen a lot more Tykes games than I'd seen Scarlets games. Um, and so as, I, as we were driving towards the ground, I was saying, I, I, you know, I was saying to my dad, who was, you know, kind of, we were, we were Tykes fans when it was only the Tykes playing or Tykes playing of English teams, but we weren't necessarily particularly wedded to them. Um, and him saying, oh, well, you know, you'll probably know when you turn up. You'll know if you want to support the Scarlets or if you want to support the Tykes. Like, you'll probably know when you go into the ground. And this was maybe 2004, possibly. Um, and I was I was really worried about it. You know, the night before, I was trying to work out. Well, if I well if I support the the Scarlets, does that mean I don't like the Tykes anymore? If I support the Tykes, does that mean I can cannot like the Scarlets anymore? And as, uh, my dad was absolutely right. As soon as I walked into the ground, I thought I am supporting the Scarlets. And Dwayne had a, a, a great game. Uh, then he also had a fantastic game maybe a year before um, against Sale uh, at Edgley Park. Um, and he was absolutely incredible. And also, it was it was just a nice memory. It was a, a Friday night game, um, which I think was a surprise. I think um, I think I didn't know we were going until until the afternoon of the game, and then we 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 kind of went over to Stockport and, and turned up. Um, and he was just exceptional. And I just remember watching uh, some videos about how his training regime and, and trying to copy it and just wanting basically to be him for well to be honest for the sort of first 27 years of my life really but for especially so for the for the kind of first five or six uh they'll be playing years of my life um so yeah i think he's made a, a huge impact on on getting me into the game of rugby i also think he to go back to what you're saying about some of the forwards and that kind of romanticism around perhaps unfulfilled potential and I do feel like he, he had more to, to give and uh, for Wales this is. And, you know, although you were very fortunate that Mike Phillips there too, I just feel like at a certain point in time around 2005, I think Dwayne Peel was probably the best scrum half in the world. And mm. I think once he went to sale, he was, he was kind of overlooked for a bit after that. Yeah, and I think that that is, I kind of think that's fair... Because it's 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 easy to ignore someone when you're not seeing them week in week out. And, and to be honest, I you know, I wasn't a Sky subscriber or whatever when he was at Sale, so I never really saw that many of his of his Sale games. Um, and so I did certainly lose touch with him a little bit um, in that that kind of 2008 to 2011 when he stopped playing for for Wales period. Um, but yeah, we we we've had such a good um, stack of of young um, scrum halves come through. And actually, I, I wonder how much the kind of the uh, Scarlet's good crop of young scrum halves coming through is down to Peel, um, 
you know, also inspiring them in kind of the similar way to how he inspired me to do it. Um, so, so yeah, I think I, I, I just think for, for so many reasons, he was he was a kind of a guaranteed guaranteed uh, nine pick. Awesome pick. Uh, right then, outside half. So, uh, this one I had a little bit more fun with. Um, so, uh, uh, well, I say that actually, I, I, I kind of, I had some in mind and I didn't really deviate from them uh, at the end. But um, Dan Bigger, I just think is the, the, in a very different way to kind of why I was toying with the idea of selecting Ken Owings, is that Dan Bigger just plays a game kind of with his heart on his sleeve and just you, you know exactly what he's thinking all the time but he's very calm under pressure um you know under actual pressure kicking goals um uh setting up a back line moving a back line he's very, very calm there um also these policeland was in the bungie he i actually wrote him down before before i dispatched him from the the fly half position i mean what he did in in, in 2011 um, you know the kind of the it really was a World Cup of the young first choice fly halves with Stephen Donald uh, kicking the wing kick and then yeah. did what he did um, so he was in with a he was in with a big shout um, also as a as a kid Vongo uh, Gala was a was a big influence on me um, and I you know I've always liked Ireland I've never quite uh, had the the antipathy both towards the Irish that we're meant to have. Um, so I've always, I've always liked watching Ireland and, and Ogala was, was really good. And I just, I, I love watching him. Also, I could never actually bring myself to pick this guy, but um, late career Johnny Wilkinson act too long. Um, he, he just... He was a lot more fun to watch then, wasn't he? He was. He was a lot more fun to watch. I kind of, I was backing him a lot more. Um than I ever had at any point in his career. And you could kind of, once the kind of the anti-English glasses came off for me, I could kind of see why people loved him. I, I never quite got that before. I saw him as a little bit of a boring kind of operator, you know, stand there, kick, kick goals, drop kick. I, um, I think it's very, very similar to how Northampton fans will probably see Dan Bigger now. You know, now they've had the opportunity to see him up close and realise how important he is to the side. I think there'd be a lot of English Northampton fans who would be a lot more, you know, who would be a lot more appreciative of Dan Bigger having had him in their team, you know, rather than just the, the Dan Bigger they see playing for Wales. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's definitely true. Yeah, um, but none of those made the pick. The the choice I went for um, again. Uh, a lot of decision, a lot of effort to try and dislodge him, but I never could. It's Stephen Jones. Um, so, aside from the fact that he is a Scarlet's legend, um, and aside from the fact he's a Wales legend, he just was. He just, as as a young lad watching him play, I just kind of saw something very exciting about how he played which I know is kind of probably most people wouldn't associate him as being a very exciting tank but um, for some reason I just he just kind of something he did just kind of spoke to me and I was a massive fan of watching him watching him play uh, fly half um, and I just I think him and, and Peel actually were the two big reasons why I um, why I ended up, up, up playing uh, playing rugby really and, and actually there was a point when I was 
19 or 20 maybe where I was playing senior rugby but I was playing scrum half and um, the we didn't have a fly half that week and so I said well I'll, I'll give it a go and despite that being 2011 maybe maybe 2012 I um, I went back and watched uh, some Stephen Jones games from uh, 2005 maybe and then 2009 as well possibly or, or you know kind of the mid mid uh, 2000s and um and because he was just the person i always kind of if i was going to play fly half i want to play it like him um and so so yeah so he's he's just i, I just think he's absolutely fantastic also uh the work he did with the scarlets thing as a backs coach and the work he's just is done as a coach in general i think is 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 just huge and that is enables him to kind of continue that legacy of 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 being as good as he was as a player and obviously now being as good as he is as a coach and having him and Peel you know giving them the opportunity to uh, to dust off the boots together once more would uh, would definitely be a feeling oh I mean it'd be incredible it would it'd be very emotional to watch uh, to watch those two uh, uh, put about put uh, put a shirt back on um, again Absolutely. Right, let's, uh, let's have a look at... Uh, where, where do you want to go next? The wingers then? Yeah, let's do the wingers. So, we can do, we can uh, do 11, 12, 13 if you'd like to, to carry on in, in that format as well. I'll leave it entirely up to you, sir. Okay, let, let's do the two wingers first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, let's not beat around the bush. One of them Shane Williams. Um, <laughs> I watched uh, Wales beat Australia at the Millennium Stadium in was it 2009 or 2010 the first time it was I think was it 2008 yeah. like 2008 um, and uh, uh, I remember so first of all the two Shane Williams tries that he scored there both scored kind of directly underneath our seats um, which immediately kind of was was brilliant and the, I, just, I remember that, that I think it might have been the first try maybe yeah I think it was the first try he kind of juggles it um or does he? So this is where my memory. Does he juggle it and then pass, or does he? Does he get a pass there, to him? And, there is a yeah. So the, the so that game was the one where yeah, that's the one where Jamie Roberts fractured his skull. Yes. And then I kept playing and, and then continue and made a, a 20, 30 yard break for that try. Um, yeah. And then yeah, Lee Byrne gives it to gives it to Shane, and I think he juggles and, and goes over the line. Um, yes. Yeah, but it was it, it was a great try. Uh, it wasn't, and there's there's a moment where, um, which I think you can watch if, if the highlights are still available. It's, it's on the highlights, but he, he juggles it and then he goes over, and everyone's obviously happy, cheering, whatever. And then the highlight comes on, or the replay comes on a bit, and there's this intake of breath as Shane Williams juggles as we realise what he's done, like how good he 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 was to pick that ball up and and go over. Um, and then, actually, before that game, uh, it was a memorable game. I think it was um, probably maybe the third time I I seen Wales live. The first time was Argentina um, in two thousand one, where we'd lost. Oh God! Against um, Harris at, at ten. Yeah. Yes, and actually, as we walked in, um, Yesin Harris had just scored. Um, how many points he scored the the week before or two weeks before? That's right. Um, yeah, he'd um, yeah. I mean, he played a handful of games for Cardiff, hadn't he? And he was straight into ten in an international yeah. game, you know, which is amazing to look back at. Yes, and 
And then the second one was England before the 2007 World Cup, um, where we got absolutely obliterated. Yeah, um, I, was there, I was there that day as well. That was rough. <laughs> yes, with Alex King uh, pulling the strings for England, who... Um, and, and when you realise that he's not, he's not an English legend. The ability that with which he took England, uh, took Wales apart on that on that uh, day was was kind of depressing. Um, but uh, but yeah, before before the 2008 um, Australia game, um, I was with my dad and we tried to we tried to get a, a pie to take into the stadium. But then there was a, there was a massive queue, and then we gone on and tried to get a uh, like a KFC or a McDonald's or something. Um, but they didn't take cards and we didn't have any cash. And then we kept going towards the stadium. And the last place left was a, was a Marks and Spencer's. And we thought, oh, right, we'll, we'll, we'll go in there and we'll get something. It's not quite what we had in mind pre-match, but uh, this will be fine. And uh, we got a couple of smoothies and a couple of, couple of sandwiches. Headed towards the game, ate our sandwiches, kept the smoothies. And uh, as we were going in, the guys said, oh, you, you, you can't bring the smoothies in. And we were like, oh, okay, well, can we can we drink them? We went, yeah, just go down the corner. There's a, you know, there's some bings there. You can just drink them. And um, me and my dad finished our smoothies uh, next to a guy who was necking the the main three of a four pack of special brew. <laughs> and it was uh, we were thinking this is a very different approaches to to how we're watching this game here. Um, but uh, but I, I was then also there when Shane Williams scored after the 2011 World Cup when he retired and yeah. scored in the last minute against Australia. It was um, a real. Um, oh, do you know what the, the game generally felt like an anticlimax? Yes, well, I was in the that day. It felt like an anticlimax until Shane scored, and yeah. you know because we were never really in the game. Everyone, felt, I think, everyone felt a bit hungover from the World Cup. Yeah. And you know, I don't know whether the players did, but I, I certainly did. You know, it just felt like, oh, you know, maybe we can get a win today, but we were never really in it. And then Shane went over, and the place, the atmosphere changed inside the stadium. Yes, yeah, it was it was a completely pointless game apart from for the last, you know, the eighty second minute or whenever whenever it was he scored because we just played Australian a meaningless game, yeah. you know, a, a, a couple of weeks before, then you know, it, it felt completely meaningless, but it. For that one moment, it was worth the the, the ticket price. Um, so so yeah, sh- shame makes thing. I mean, you know, there's a bunch of reasons. I mean, the the fact that he was a small guy but punched above his weight and kind of showed other smaller players that you can still make a either career or just have fun playing playing rugby. Um, everything he's done afterwards, you know, how he's kind of his move to Japan and then. His his twenty thirteen lines appearance, um, just kind of everything he's done, I just think has has kind of worked, and so so he's 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 clearly in there. I put him in at fourteen. Um, oh, then, interesting. Yeah. So um, the the others I went with were uh, or the the others I toyed with were um, uh, Tagzuka and Gwenya, the. Um, <laughs> PSV. Yes, P- PSV. purely purely for that try against um, uh, South Africa in 2007, uh, which to this day is, uh, I would say, the second best World Cup try, and the first best is by the person I actually ended up picking. Um, let's let's come on to that in a moment because there is within Gwenya there is um, an interesting uh, kind of I guess. 
parallel with Shane Williams in that I, I again don't know if uh, if you remember this game but there was a, I think it was a Heineken Cup quarter final where the Ospreys played Biarritz uh, possibly in San Sebastian yes and, and uh, it, it, when you was the only man I have ever seen skin Shane Williams for pace they, honestly I can't think of anyone else ever done you know he's been you know he might have been knocked out of the way by someone at, at some point but I've never seen anyone do him for pace other than Nguyenu on that occasion yeah, I, I remember that try, um, the Osprey. He had a couple of really good tries for Bielitz. Um, he, you know, there's always that thing. There's also that thing. He's only, I was looking at this earlier today, he's only 34, um, which seems unbelievable. Um, and to be honest, he he pretty much achieved, well, his achievements were exceptional. He, he's, he played more than 200 times for Bielitz. Um, and so he is an exceptional player, but just given that you know i wasn't watching any top 12 of being uh, in that kind of 2007 to 2016 yeah. period I, I feel like i for me he's undulated and he's kind of being ever quite fulfilled what he did when he beat habana um yeah. but i i just think that that try is absolutely sensational yeah, has, has, certainly has his place in history doesn't he you know any uh, any um highlights real YouTube clip or you know kind of uh, ITV4 program in the lead up to the World Cup talking about the best yes. tries that that one is always going to feature prominently um, yeah so who, who have who have you gone for then so I went with uh, Kenki Fukuoka um, so his the try that I think is the best I I, I, I do genuinely think this mm. and I can't honestly explain why I think that this is probably the best try I've ever seen in a World Cup is that one where they stripped um, the Scottish player whose name's escaping me at the moment? Um, yeah, and then I, I know the try. I can't remember which player it was. He strips. Yeah, and then went over for the try because first of all, it's such a brilliant defensive lead to realise that he has to go up and make that tackle. Otherwise, he's 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 not got a chance of defending four people on the wing. Then the actual not just making the tackle, but then stripping the ball. Mm. <laughs> the, the the pickup before I mean it's it's so close to hitting the ground and he manages to pick it up. It's like one of those games where you someone drops a ball and you have to catch it before it hits the ground. It, it's, it's do you know what, it's almost like a um, it's almost like a an athletic uh, catch in the outfield in a game of cricket. You know those ones yes. where they're kind of juggling it on the boundary. Like it felt as much that I know exactly what you, you mean. Watching that as it happened, as that ball was there and there, you just thought catches and he scores. And, yeah, uh, and, and he did. And you're right. That was a, just a, a, again it epitomised what Japan were all about: enterprise and bravery and excitement. Well, exactly, and even even when he catches it, he's still got a hell of a lot of work to do to to get to the line. Um, it's it's he has to kind of swerve around one person and beating another person for pace. It's just it's incredible. And I actually I watched that in Tokyo. Um, although I was uh, I work on the on the World Cup website, so although I was kind of at work as it were, I was surrounded by Japanese rugby fans, and it was incredible. And I think that's one of the you know. The, the where you are when you watch a try, I think, makes a big impact. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, that try genuinely makes me a little bit emotional. I, I honestly can't explain why, because it's it's probably not, like, it's definitely not the best ever World Cup try, just on the face of it. But just everything about it was so wonderful. Um, so he would, he, I would. I would. It would be joyous to have him opposite Shane Williams in that. It's, uh, it's a wings. great choice, and also as well, my. Um, 
I, I watched that. I watched that game at, at home with, and my, my wife was kind of you know pottering in and out of the, the kitchen, and she has very you know she 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 doesn't mind. She had no interest in rugby until she met me, and has kind of learned to live with it over the uh, um, <laughs> over the years. But she took a real interest in that and found it particularly amusing. Um, that his name was Fukuoka, and she's, yes. like, that guy's, she's like, that guy, fuck you over. He's absolutely amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, he, he managed to kind of live up to that mispronunciation on that occasion against Scotland. He really did. Also, um, uh, he wasn't meant to be in the squad for the Ireland game, and then someone got injured and he came in, and then he scored the winning try against Ireland. Um, and then he kind of cemented him his his way into the... Uh, into the starting lineup, so it, it couldn't be more kind of Hollywood esque. I know, I can everything about it was Hollywood Hollywood esque, really, wasn't it? You know, we talked about the, that that Wales run in twenty eleven and, and kind of what that meant. Um, and you can, I can only imagine what that what watching that entire World Cup must have been like for a for a Japan rugby fan, like oh, on, home, yeah. on home turf, having been such an underdog to be. Uh, you know, such an underdog in 2015 and get that win and knock it out of the groups and then to host the next World Cup where you've got to deal with the pressure of, of kind of being expected to get out of the group and not just getting out of the group but um, the weather uh, you know almost calling that game off and yeah. all, of the, all of this kind of stuff alongside it and then to, to top the group it was just yeah they, and they, they were a joy to watch as well they were I mean that, that's it you know you've seen teams like um, uh, like Georgia kind of push teams close in the past but you wouldn't necessarily be be that excited about their their playing style obviously it's, it's it's effective but it's not necessarily exciting but japan it's just exciting it was exciting to watch those games and and it's there's kind of a sadness that it's not going to be in japan probably in our lifetimes or you know not at least not in the near future and that even if it is are they going to have that same team and even they might have a better team but it's not going to be quite as as much of an underdog story um, so that moment in time encapsulated by Fukuoka making that uh, strip and that try was I think the very best of, of international rugby really Outstanding talk us through your centres now so um, I, I won't give the short list because it was it was a very long list um, but I went for uh, Jamie Roberts at 12 um, mm. again underrated I think I could probably Crim- say criminally underrated I would say yeah yeah, I think the the people see him as just this crash ball merchant, um, get a, a yard, and that's his job. But defensively, outstanding. Yeah, you know, set that set that uh, Welsh back back um, back line uh, in attack far better than people uh, see him as. And also, if you do think he was just a crash ball merchant, then that was the job he was being asked to do, and he did it better than anyone else could have done yeah um, absolutely agree absolutely agree with that and um, I, I, I look back to that game uh, I think it was 2009 we played e, we played England in Cardiff and Joe Worsley I think got man of the match and um, was basically there to do a to do a job on um, on Jamie Roberts you know yeah. it was essentially a man marking job they picked Joe Worsley who is you know one of the you know a superb uh, superb tackler and uh, but it just it just showed how influential Roberts was, you know. It was, yeah. And and then that later that summer to to go on and um, and have the series he did with the Lions, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I I agree. I think when he finally hangs up his boots, people will realise how important he was to Wales. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, 
for, for me, 13 is difficult. I, I, I toyed with the idea of Brian O'Driscoll, but mm. as brilliant as I think he is, and he's clearly possibly the best ever 13, um, certainly one of, probably the best ever Northern Hemisphere 13, um, I, I, I didn't, I don't have a particularly strong emotional connection to him, just apart from thinking he's amazing and really enjoying watching him play. Um, yeah, I probably, don't actually. It's a strange one, considering, like, you know, I've got some amazing memories of him in, in 2011, uh, sorry, in 2001 for the Lions. And yeah. then, you know, obviously very bad memories of 2005. <laughs> yeah. Not as bad as, you know, as his memories are we. And then 2009, <laughs> you know, that, that partnership that he formed with Roberts. But I suppose just because he was such a good player and... You know, I, I was, he was just a pain in the ass for, for He was. You know, he had great games against Wales. He plays like an open side as well, which, you know, is a, it's not like he was just doing brilliant things in attack. It's the fact that, you know, Wales would have a great attack and it would be turned over by the outside centre. Yes. And then, you know, obviously he's doing it for Leinster as well. He, you know, he's just a player that I'm never particularly warm to, despite the fact that, you know, you're right, he, he, yeah, he's, he's the best Northern Hemisphere 13 of all time. Yeah. I, I also, I, I do think the fact he played for Leinster, and I, I think I have, I think I've seen more Leinster games than than you would expect. Like you know, the Scarlets Leinster games, and I've never ever seen Scarlets beat Leinster, um, not live anyway. I've obviously saw it in the in the play fourteen, but um, but yeah, that that kind of, I think that kept it away. I, if he had played for you know Japan or Wales or. Uh, you know, someone that we that we I didn't see beat me quite so frequently as <laughs> as both Ireland and Leinster. I think he would have probably made the cut. Um, also, I, I looked at Jonathan Davis. The, the thing I struggle with with Jonathan Davis is everything he does uh, is what well, loads of stuff he does is brilliant. He's a fantastic servant for 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 Scarlets and for Wales. I just can't get beyond some of the passes he's done um, in in either shirt. And I, I kind of, I, I do hold it against him. Um, although that's unfair, I kind of end up holding it against him. And so he, he couldn't make it. Although it's, def- it's definitely unfair, but it's your team, so you, you go for it. <laughs> yes. So the person I chose, um, given that I've just dismissed probably two of the best, uh, well, two of the best ever Northern Hemisphere thirteens, um, the person I'm choosing is Regan King, New Zealand born. Oh, uh, Scarlet's um, player Legan King um, for the very similar um, reason for why I chose um, Andy Powell and Nakalawa is just some of the performances he put in were the very very best uh, of anyone playing the rugby that I've seen uh, live and obviously not consistent and not for season after season after season but some of those games he was just unbelievable. It's actually similar to... I, I almost put Ty Byrne in um, for this season because the, the the consistency of, say... Or the quality of, say, six or seven performances in a season um, just means that you can have remember those those games. I can't, it can't be true, but I just remember watching League and King play in the sun for Scarlets, which, you know, obviously wouldn't have happened. But um, but that, that's kind of the, the memories I have I have of him. Um, and I went to watch him um, play against London Welsh when he had his short uh, jersey legs um, period. Um, and, yeah, and I guess the fact he came back from Claremont and 
um, was what was you know similar to Stephen Jones, really, or very very similar to Stephen Jones. Um, so yeah, for me, it, it's those those short that short period of incredibly intense and brilliant performances has uh, nailed him into the thirteen shirt. Yeah, again, a, uh, a huge favourite, Parker Scarlett's, um, and yeah, just the, the silkiest of skills. Um, yes. Again, you know, I think he obviously's had uh, had his trolls off the uh, off the pitch, but um, yep. certainly a, a, a just all the all the ability in the world on the pitch. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Having said that, I do think I I, I worry that I I did Jonathan Davis at your service. Um, it wasn't it wasn't intentional, um, but, <laughs> but it, it is still League and King. No, it's a, it's a, an excellent choice. Right. What about fullback then? So um, uh, Stuart Hogg was was an early favourite for this. Although yeah, I, love, I love Stuart Hogg, I absolutely love watching him play. I really do. Yeah, I, he, he very similar to to well, Tinakawa Powell King. It, some of the performances I do think are probably the best ever uh, for that performances I've seen. Um, and so for that, I kind of considered I considered him. Obviously, Lee Halfpenny. I I thought long and hard about just his just the, the way he he puts his body on the line to make those tackles is just incredible. Um, I I kind of struggled to get beyond that though because the third person I hit on was the person I just couldn't nudge. Who I've already said that that there's been two of the best tries in World Cup history. I think that this might be the best try in World Cup history. Which again, um, there's going to be a lot of best. I I, I worry about being hyperbolic about this, but um, but. This try has become, you know, internationally famous, and my fullback is Ayumu Golomaru, um, <laughs> who scored, who was brilliant for exactly four games, and arguably was only brilliant in two of them. Um, in 2015, he was exceptional against South Africa in what was probably the best ever the match I've seen. Um, and he scored that try in the corner um, off the line out uh, that was just outstanding. Um, and also, one of my favourite moments is the, the kick at the end, which just didn't matter. It, 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 you know, they already won the game, um, whether he kicked it or not. He missed it. And just the look of, as if, well, I, don't, I literally don't care. You know, I this is I would rather have not taken that kick. I, I I couldn't care less about that. Um and so I just think, you know, he, how many players have played in the the best uh rugby World Cup game of certainly the the two thousands onward. Um arguably I think, I, think the, I think the only game that that is comparable for drama is I mean, potentially the, the 2003 final, but I, yep. I, I, even then, I, I don't think it's necessary. It comes to it doesn't give you the story that that game in Brighton did. The only one that I think comes close is the semi final in '99, where France came back and, and blew yes. the All Blacks away. But but even then, I think I would be I would still be tempted to go for the uh, for the Japan Springboks game. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to compare, isn't it? Because some of them are um, some of them are joyous and for different reasons. Um, and I do. I think the 
the the Japan South Africa game, you know, you were hoping for maybe a decent clash where Japan's staying it for forty minutes and then are blowing away in the second half, and it looked like maybe that was what's going to happen, um, but they just stayed in it, and I think that that to be honest, given how I've tried to go about picking these on a having an emotional level, anyone who was part of you know, what I think is probably the best of the game I, uh, I've seen, um, who scored one of the best the tries I've ever seen, just will will be uh, not nailed on, but was, was a very good, a win with a very good shout of getting this. And, and that try he made, and uh, that tackle even he made against Scotland uh, in the corner um, was just absolutely exceptional. So, yeah, for those four games in 2015, I um, I have to give it to Golomalo. Here, here. Right, let's have a quick recap of the team before I ask you uh, to name your captain, uh, name the opposition, the stadium you'd like the game to take place and the uh, and the kit you'd like the side to wear. Uh, so the side is Gethin Jenkins, Dane Coles, Adam Jones, Alan Wynne-Jones, Leonie Nakarawa, Johnny Barkley, Alex Popham, Andy Powell. And then in the backs, Dwayne Peel, Stephen Jones, Kenki Fukuoka, Jamie Roberts, Regan King, Shane Williams, and Goromaru, uh, Ayumu Goromaru, I forgot his first name there, yeah. Ayumu Goromaru at, uh, at fullback. Yes. Uh, who is going to be the skipper out of those? Uh, it's Alan Wing Jones. I was, I didn't want, I, there's no, no suspense there. It's, it's Alan Wing Jones. <laughs> right then. Uh, like you say, it's been kind of a, a very uh, emotional um, tinge to the. Uh, to the to selecting sides, uh, is there a a similar choice when it comes to picking the stadium? Have you gone for one that's uh, that's particularly um, particularly close to your heart? Yeah, I have. I, I was I was I'm still slightly torn on this one, um, but I think it's going to be. So the only other the only other front runner for this, uh, as brilliant obviously as I think the Millennium Stadium is, it is it is without. Uh, it's subjectively the best rugby stadium in the world um, but I toyed with the idea of a Friday night game at Hedgenley Stadium uh, as a 12 year old boy eating some chips on the terrace watching watching these tykes playing uh, under the lights on Friday that was absolutely joyous but uh, I've chosen a, a also a Friday night game at Straggy Park I want it to be to be rebuilt um, with the slope and the general awfulness of a lot of it, but I want yeah. that to be rebuilt and for the game to take place there. And, and the choir and everything else that goes with it. Exactly, yeah, yeah. everything else that goes with it. Fine choice. Uh, okay, so the opposition then? Well, this one I found difficult. Um, so it, it was going to have to be England. Um, I wasn't sure what era. So I, I told you the idea of England 2019 just because... Mm. You know that they were the team I'd have liked to have beaten, but given the um, given what it did to my childhood, being English, uh, being a Welsh uh, fan in English school, uh, it would be the England two thousand three team. Yeah, yeah, I can I can certainly identify with that. Um, and then yeah, finally then, what uh, what jersey would you opt for? Which uh, yeah, which which kit would you go for? Toyed with 2015 Japan, which I think is beautiful, um, but ended up going for the 2005 Wales kit with the little white nice. flicks over the shoulder and the white collar. The one that looked so good on Gavin Henson as he kicked that uh, 
that 40 or 50 meter kick from the corner to uh yeah, to, just a little people. splash of green in there as well just like a yeah. tiny little bit of green on the uh um tiny little bit of green piping on there that was a real classy shirt that one yeah, yeah. I, I don't actually think that uh, Wales have had a better kit since then. It was, it was beautiful. I'd, I'd happily see, the, see us go back to that. Good stuff. Fantastic, Sam. It's been uh, a real pleasure chatting to you and uh, getting, uh, getting your thoughts on, uh, on your Dream 15 and everything else that goes with it. Uh, so, yeah, thank you very much for joining us and hopefully we'll get you back on the, on the show soon. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Everyone thinks I had a storybook career, that I just sprang into Disney Channel stardom overnight, made millions, and lived happily ever after. Spoiler alert, I didn't. There were countless failures along the way, and there still are. How I deal with that struggle and how I pivot when failure creeps in is what allows me to keep going, keep learning, and keep striving for balance. The Vulnerable Podcast is an invitation to hang out every week with me, Christy Carlson Romano, as I invite friends, celebrities, and experts for in-depth conversations discussing the good, the complicated, the beauty of being human, and what it means to be vulnerable. Join me every Tuesday as we navigate the ups and downs of my guests' paths to success. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.